Welcome to this new Tech Captains episode. So today with uh, Garrett Thomas, we uh, were lucky to welcome Janet Maldonado, who is head of engineering at BIX, the digital labs of Boehringer Ingelheim, the massive pharmaceutical company that nobody knows how to pronounce. Uh, and Janet has been in tech for the past 15 years with this career that brought her from Mexico to Germany with a stopover in the US. So Janet, uh, before we go deeper into your, your impressive track record and we will get there, can you just tell us more about BIX? Definitely. VIX is the digital lab of Boehringer Ingelheim. Actually, it was created a few years ago, around 2017, because as you know, Boehringer Ingelheim is a pharmaceutical company. And of course, they wanted to explore about yeah. disruptive areas, get into software engineering and, and disruptive businesses. Yeah. Okay. And uh, how many people work at BIX labs? Well, we have been growing a lot. When it started, we opened the first lab within Ingelheim, which is the headquarters of Boehringer Ingelheim in Germany. Um, yeah. And two years ago, we opened a second lab in, in Shanghai. By now, we have more than 90 people. Oh, wow. And can you give us an insight about some of the projects you work on? Well, I cannot give insights about everything, but I can give insights about what is already public. <laughs> um, and, and definitely, I mean, we are so interested in creating solutions that will bring more health to humans and animals. So in the end, we work in a very broad uh, sense of different digital products, either for internal use, especially for those who will help us in identifying new drugs in the discovery and using AI, machine learning, or even large language models. But we also work on digital products that are for externally facing patients, healthcare providers, or even for veterinarians or pet owners. So one of the applications yeah. that we already launched is in China. It's called Consana's Cloud where Boehringer Ingelheim okay. also created a hospital, rehabilitation hospital, because in China, we have a huge problem with stroke patients. And the amount of people who receive rehabilitation after they are checking in in the hospital is very, very low. So we saw an opportunity here to use AI and some algorithms in order to support those patients rehabilitate. Well, that's really interesting. I don't think I know of a pharmaceutical company that's built a hospital. Uh, and this is just focused on treating stroke patients in China. Um, I'm guessing it's not just using your therapies, though. It's using therapies from, from other companies as well. Of course, it's using therapies from, from, from other companies. In the end, um, Boring and Ingelheim is also trying to serve the needs of the end customers. Uh, and this is something really, really new that was just launched this year, beginning of this year. So we are assessing how this is becoming and, and developing further. In the end, of course, we have a presence worldwide and the breadth that we can go into is really, really huge. Yeah. yeah. I'm wondering, too, um, just if it's easier to do that in China than perhaps it might be in Europe or the United States, just from a regulatory standpoint. But it's interesting. I didn't know anyone was doing that. So that's actually pretty yeah. cool. <laughs> and 
it's Janet. I, I want to say because obviously a lot of the people who listen to us are are, are in tech themselves at at various stage in their career. And what I found very interesting in yours is that you started as a front end engineer in Guadalajara. And now you head of engineering in, in a very big company. You, you worked in the Bay Area in San Francisco. You worked in, uh, in Texas also, I believe. Now you're in Germany. Like, so like, uh, wh- what would be interesting is to see, like, did you, did you keep moving around the world for your career or was it a byproduct of your life? Or is it something you found important to, to evolve and go up the ladder in your career? Or what, what can you tell us about that? Well, I can recall even from childhood, when I was 11 years old, I told my dad, hey, dad, when I'm growing up, I will be living very far away. So I was some sort of preparing him. <laughs> um, but in the end, of course, I went to university in Mexico and I was always interested, um, you know, in, in becoming an engineer, even though at that time I didn't have a computer. Um, but then when I decided which kind of engineering to go to, I thought, oh, computers sounds like the future. I'll go there. <laughs> um, yeah. and, and, you know, when, when I went to university, I always wanted to live in Guadalajara in Mexico because it was recognized as the Silicon Valley of Mexico. So I thought yeah. I will create, you know, some career development in that area. So I went there. But always I had in mind, look, uh, the best for an engineer, a software engineer will be to go one day to the Silicon Valley and work for the big tech and, and be there in, the, in, the, in this hub. So I also did. Um, however, when I was there, it was impressive, super amazing place to be and to see. Um, mm. But I didn't want to stay there for a long time. I wanted to just see, um, learn, and then wanted to to do something more for my family and my kids because I'm a mother of two. And thinking more long term, Germany and Europe is actually a great place to be. And. Uh... Would you would you give any specific advice for younger people in in tech who who want who are maybe developer who want to get head of engineering or who do not want or or people who are developer now and they want to involve in the career but they don't want to have a management role but still still have some sort of evolution. I mean, this is one of the topics you will face at some point in your career, right? Because when you are an engineer, of course, it's not so easy to gain the hard skills. However, when time comes, you are facing um, a decision point when you yeah. really need to, to, to look left or right. If you really want to become an engineer and develop that expertise, but if you are also curious about enabling others and in, in you really like people as well, you could also think on a managerial role or path. So it's not so straightforward. And actually, I experienced that it is one of the most difficult things to, to decide. Because as I mentioned, it takes a while to generate the hard skill as an engineer. And many of the engineers, which I know and I have worked with, 
they don't really like to go much into management type of roles. Um, however, it, it's, it's really interesting. I have done this in the past as well. And once I was a manager and decided, no, 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 I really want to go back into engineering. <laughs> and having the ability and, and knowing that it's okay there is no straight path. It's okay to go back and say, hey, I really want to do engineering. And even if you are starting to feel rusty, it's like riding the bike. You will get it again and, and go again into, into engineering or into management. Just try. And your, um, and your career looking at it, so you've, 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 you've been, um, you know, uh, I guess, a front-end engineer, right? Up until very recently, I think it was two, three years ago, you, you were promoted to head of engineering. And I'm just wondering what what have you had to learn or, or adapt moving into that where, where you've been focused on front end. Now I'm guessing you have back end engineers, you have QA teams, you have various other teams reporting to you. What what have you had to learn or adapt to, to into your new role? Well, it's a very interesting story, and I haven't seen a story like this one before, because actually uh, we, we love our head of previous head of engineering. I was part of that team. And when he came to the room and said, guys, I was supposed to be here for one year and I stayed three and I want to move on with my next steps. So I, I expect you to apply for the role. All of the engineers in the room, we were like, looking at into each other and one of them said hey why don't we run a nomination process and i said what a great idea sure i will you know create something where you can anonymously nominate because i had two engineers who i wanted to nominate in my mind so we started nominating into my surprise i also came <laughs> nominated in this process and we started even discussing within the team hey, you apply. No, you apply. Hey, if you apply, I support you. And, and people already supporting me a lot and, and recognizing that I had the trust from the team helped me a lot into say, okay, I have done this in the past. If I don't like it, I can always go back to engineering. <laughs> so I applied, I did, and I already had the trust from the team. So in the end, we might tend to believe that for going into a leadership role, we need to know it all, but it's not true. We need to have the people and we need to listen to the people and to have your multiple right hands in order to, to create things. But I think what you're saying is that the, 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 diff, the, sorry, the, diff, the different types of engineering, whether they're back end or front end, are slightly irrelevant, but having the trust of the team that you will help them and that you'll, you know, um, enable them to make the right decision is more important. I think that's what you what you're saying, right? Exactly, exactly, exactly. The type of industries and companies you worked at, obviously, it was always the tech team, whether it was a tech company or not. But from what I've seen, they were very different. Like you in health tech, no, but you were at Experian before, which is like credit score, etc. So. What, was that a choice? Like, were you always more interested into the role and the technology or more into the industry? Like, what, what was really, how did you make your choices there? Actually, when I was in university, I hated programming, to be clear. Okay. <laughs> but I hated it because when you are <laughs> learning it, it was not very pretty, not visual. Uh, so it was, you know, hey, let's create this 
console type of you know software and then you needed to print line a lot of underscores in order to make a line and to me that was ugly yeah, uh, ugly <laughs> but then when i got into web development and i saw okay we can create interactivity and i understood i'm more of a visual type of engineer who really wants to create things so i i stuck stick into into this area however of course, I work in many industries, but it was a time when I worked for the first time in healthcare where I identified, look, I'm creating software, which is helping humans heal, which is helping physicians treat better patients. Then I identified, say, look, I only have three industries where I want to work. It either is healthcare, education or something social environmental because and, of the purpose um, and the meaning yeah. we, we we have a tradition uh, in the podcast that the the guest introduces a book they really like so you send uh, a number of books which shows you are a very uh, a eager reader uh, and one that caught my eye in the list was The Mom Test by Rob Fitzpatrick, because I read it myself, I think almost 10 years ago. And it's a very short book that's very practical, very straight to the point with the premises that if you go tell your mom about an idea you have for a company, she will say, it's amazing. My son, my daughter, like you're such a genius, just do it. But that's not client's validation or user <laughs> validation. So can you tell us more about uh, what you really liked in that book? I really, I really liked the approach and how easy it was to, to digest and so straightforward, as you mentioned, um, as an engineer as well. I, many times, of course, we, we like to create things and to build, thing, build things. And it's really common that we have a product owner, a product manager, and hey, let's go all in and let's ship this yeah. and let's ship that. And yeah, we can create, let's do it, ship, ship it. Um, However, I really like this type of content and books because uh, there is no value in building and building things that no one will use or no one wants and how to really focus and how to approach speaking to customers and identifying what are actually the needs that they have and what are the problems that we're solving. You know? Yeah. Okay. And how do you use it into your to your day-to-day -day work? Like as head of engineering because you're not the product team that necessarily directly speaks the to the to the users i mean i use it as well with uh when i coach my engineers i always try to say guys seriously um we really need to identify what is the value and uh, not necessarily that i work directly in each of the products mm -hmm. we build because we are not building just one product we can create multiple products and we're trying to find what are the most valuable ones and by, by doing that, I also have to engage with a lot of stakeholders and trying always to identify, hey, but what is the value for the company? What is the value for the end customer? And, and what problems are we actually fixing? You know? But in the end, yeah. of course, within our teams, we, we also have UX researchers that they are all in into doing the groundwork. Yeah. So um, just talking about the, this process then, um, do you have any tips for fast prototyping? Because I mean, I saw, uh, I think in one of your, um, something that I saw you'd written or that you, one of your talks, I watched a couple of your talks, you were talking about 
the importance of prototyping. I mean, what, how do you do that quickly? And I mean, are things like low code a good answer? What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, it, we like to, to leave this decision to our teams, right? And it might depend on what type of product we are speaking, because in the end at Boringer Ingelheim, we also create products that are for internal use that might more tend to be a pipeline or a model training. Uh, but if we are speaking for a user interface, of course, now there are tons of tools and there are as well multiple frameworks that you can put in. Um, our teams as well use Figma and create rapid prototypes there, which are low fidelity, or if we want to go more higher fidelity now the breadth of tools and ai generations are plenty Definitely. and and then yeah just talking about sort of framework so i think you've been a champion for angular and stuff like that i saw i mean if you look at if you look at front-end development right we went from you know static pages to jquery to framework single page apps progressive all of that's been i mean huge huge shifts <laughs> front end and I, and I would actually say that probably in many ways bigger than, than in back end in sort of fundamental changes we now have server-side rendering. I was reading also micro front ends are a thing. How have you kept up with these changes with the role that you've had? And what do you think is the next, what, what do you think is the next <laughs> big thing? What's, what's the next big thing? Of course, it's not easy. That's the magic of, of the world and, and the beauty of this type of roles because even though it's very similar and, and you can grasp, you know, that the fundamentals will help you in any of the frameworks or, or new tools that comes, it, it's rapidly evolving. I remember as well, I was in the times when there was not even HTML5 <laughs> and we were doing, you know, Flash and, and yeah. the Flash player back in the days. So, uh, of course, sometimes there are the times when big changes come and it's heartbreaking sometimes because you invest time and you know how to use the technology and then oh now we have html5 and all these frameworks and <laughs> everything changed. has changed yeah. and from time to time yeah. uh, you expect yeah. new changes and that's the beauty in the interesting part right that is not like oh i learned this and I, I know it all no it will change and it's better to be open and adaptable in order to be always learning and trying so what do you think is next what do you think is the next big thing are there any sort of cutting edge things that you're using? I don't have a magic ball, <laughs> but I, I, of course, I can imagine that a lot of the, the work is even now, you know, sped up by, by using of AI tools, a lot of low code. However, I still believe that it will take more time for this to become mature. Or if I believe, hey, will developers will entirely be replaced by AI? who has the answer. However, not in the <laughs> in the short term. I know that uh, it might happen that we will have to shift into the next frontiers. Yeah. And then and then sort of speaking of developers and, and the development process, um, I'm just wondering to get your take on code reviews, because you, you mentioned that specifically in a couple of your roles. And I actually read an interesting article just I think last week uh, by a lady called Joe Crossick who said that they're outdated and that we should be looking instead to, you know, because they destroy the flow, the development flow, and we should be looking instead to doing coaching and pair, pro coaching <laughs> and pair programming, which actually I'm quite a fan of pair programming. So again, I, I wonder what your thoughts are on code reviews. I mean, and also we have AI coming with Copilot and all of these things. Are these, are the, are the days of code reviews numbered, do you think? 
I, I believe, I mean, many of our team members also do pair programming, right? And if you are uh, aligning upfront, hey, these are the conventions and this is how we're going to do things, or if they are together, um, there is not much need into reviewing every single thing. As well, there are many things like if you are looking at, at you know, syntactic issues or, you know, conventions, many of the linters and, and tools can, can do it for, for you. In the end, might be as well if developers are used to do that um, well it, it's it's a developer thing you know if they want to do it or if they want to do it in co-creation then it's just a check Janet just before we uh, we conclude this podcast can you can you tell us if you in your career if you had any fun fact or horror story that happened uh, that that's worth mentioning and that's not classified well, you judge if it's a horror story or it, if it is funny. It's something that happened to me more than 10 years ago. Um, I was working in a company and of course I was one of the few females in the team. There was this day when I was sitting around engineers and there was one backend engineer who came to me, a very tall one and big guy with glasses. And he was like, yeah. what are you doing? Frontend, JavaScript, HTML, CSS, that's nothing. What's that? So I look him in the eye with my poker face and I said, yeah, maybe you are right, but I earn more money than you do. And all the guys started <laughs> laughing. And as I said, you judge might be a horror story because, you know, they started type of things you face as well as being a female and doing something that maybe yeah. they are not used to. But on the other hand, you really need to be tough and reply back and see. This was the first and last time he told me anything like that. No, but you know, also for uh, for front-end developers, and I, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll finish on this, is that the, you know, they often look done also by other techies, but I think the front end actually have it much harder because <laughs> you have programming, you have all those packages, yeah. plus you have the HTML, the CSS, and you don't know which platform your code is going to run on. <laughs> so <laughs> you really need to love it. So I had to. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. And not only that, you're always getting SEO people breathing down your neck, wanting it to be as fast as possible. It's never fast <laughs> enough for Google for your, I mean, yeah, it's, I think front end's the worst place to be, to be honest with you. So I, would agree. <laughs> I love it. But I mean, it's all about preference, right? <laughs> I think, thank you. Thank you, Janet, for your time and uh, being with us today. And uh, thank you so much to anyone listening. We will be back in two weeks. Thank you.